I'm going to read all of Acts chapter 26, which is kind of a lot of scripture. And um, we've read longer passages in church before. And this fall, we'll be reading extensive passages, but it's from Revelation. So, you know, it's about beasts and crazy things. And because of the attention span of most humans in 2019, this can feel challenging. And I'd encourage you to, to engage however is best for your mind within reason. Um, perhaps by reading along with a Bible. We have some Bibles in the back. Perhaps using a device. Some of you would, would prefer maybe to doodle while I'm, while I'm preaching or while I'm reading the text. That's fine. That's another way of, of engaging your mind with the text. But it's worth reading it aloud. Um, the scriptures are meant to be read aloud, and so I'm going to read Acts chapter 26 and then um, say this is the word of the Lord, and if you want to respond to that, you're welcome to. I'm going to read out of the bulletin because the words are getting harder and harder to see. And an amen from those of you that, yeah. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I'm going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I am accused by Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance." For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer 
and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I'm not out of my mind. Most excellent, Festus. But I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things. And to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Then the king rose, and the governor and Bernice and those who were sitting with them. And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. So I'm kind of in a little bit of physical discomfort today. Um, Kind of on my ribs and in whatever's left of my core in my 40s, and the reason is because on Friday, I got to run the uh, slip and slide, and I don't know if it was the first time or the second time or the third time that I went down the slip and slide that injured me, but it's hard to take a deep breath, and coughing and sneezing and laughing hurt a lot, and I think that if I were not a follower of Jesus, I would probably enjoy the slip and slide, but I don't know if I would run it for 100 kids and 68 junior high and senior high students and the number of adults that I hazed into doing it. (laughs) The reason that I did that is because I believe all of that is true. And I believe it's worth it to run, not for me to run, to ask Shayla and Will because they're way better at it than me, to run a, a fun camp where we get to talk about these things in a fun environment but not only because of fun, but because it's true. And I find Acts 26 very odd, and and there are a whole bunch of reasons for that that I'll get into, but what's happening is Paul, in order to escape uh, probable death, appealed to Caesar because he's a Roman citizen. This was in the time of Nero, but Nero hadn't gone all Nero on us yet, so it was still perhaps a good idea to appeal to Caesar. And Paul's telling his story to uh, the king, Agrippa, who is also a Jew. That's why he says our uh, people when he's talking to him. At the same time, many Jews are following Jesus and many Jews are not, and they're very, very frustrated with Paul. Frustrated is perhaps an understatement. And as Paul tells his story, we see that for him, faith is both evidential and existential. What I mean by that is he, he saw the truth of it in the text. He saw the truth of it in the other people that he met that were followers of Jesus, namely Peter and Ananias is the first Christian that he meets and um, after he becomes a Christian. So there was evidence that was compelling to him, but also it made sense to his heart. Did you notice that he describes himself as a raging man? And in Acts chapter 6 and 7 and 8 and 9, when we see Paul, the, the version of Paul that he's describing in Acts chapter 26 we see that he was a man full of anger. And yet after he comes to faith in Jesus, it leaves him, at least in large part, because we have all these other stories of him and we never see him in a rage. 
But as he's defending himself, he's telling the story that is, that is both evidential and made sense to his heart. And so I want to remind you of that. And many of you um, believe that and have experienced it. It is both. Faith is both a rational thing and a thing that is supposed to make sense to us as a human being, not simply intellectually, though it is rational. Especially if in our rationalizing and thinking and um, in the way that we understand logic, if, if the scriptures get to speak into that, it becomes even more rational, more reasonable. What if it's true that Jesus is the Christ, as Paul was saying to Agrippa in front of his sister Bernice and in front of the Festus, who was a um, government official. That's why he gets so frustrated with Paul is he really needs to write a report. If you go back and read Acts chapter 25, he's the guy that needs to write a report about this, and there's nothing really to write a report about, which is why he says, Paul, you're out of your mind. There are a lot of ways to say you're out of your mind. I was trying to figure out from the text how upset he is, or perhaps not upset. Perhaps he just said it reasonably. Paul, you seem out of your mind. Perhaps he was very upset. Paul, you're out of your mind. Perhaps he was laughing. Paul, you're out of your mind. You know that, like, frustrated out of your mind? But what if it's true? What if it's true that Jesus of Nazareth rose from the dead and is the Christ? Many of you already believe that it's true, and you wonder why I'm asking that question. Here's why, for those of you that are already followers of Christ. I long for us to rest more deeply in our soul in that truth. I long for us to experience the mental and even bodily and spiritual comfort that comes with knowing and knowing more deeply that he is the Christ. He loves and likes us and that he did all of that work to reconcile us to God, as Paul explained to Agrippa and to his sister and to the Roman official. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I want you to see this incredibly uh, historically defended text. So many, many, many men and women who are not followers of Jesus or even remotely fans of Jesus or fans of his followers validate that this text um, has been reliably passed on from the first century. I'll talk about that a little more in a minute. Paul's defending his faith and he begins with his personal interaction with Jesus. What's your story in terms of faith? Even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're considering the gospel, what's your story of faith? Do you get to tell it often? Do you know how to contextualize it? Um, when Paul says, why do you kick against the goads? You're like, I have no idea what that means. Sounds a little um, off-putting, we'll say. That was a Roman proverb that essentially means, why would you resist God? So Paul's contextualizing his interaction with Jesus to try and reach the maximum number of people in the room. If you go back and you read the story of his conversion or the many, 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 many times that he references it in his letters, remember Paul didn't write the book of Acts, Luke wrote the book of Acts, so it's amazing that these uh, sources validate one another. That's not the way that God spoke to Paul, though it's the, the, it's the same story. Paul's recontextualizing it. You know what I'm saying? Do you know your own story? Do you know how to tell your own story? 
Do you know how to recontextualize it? If you're a New Englander, would, would you tell it differently to perhaps a Southerner? Do you even know that my home state is not in the South? Oklahoma is not in the South. Just want to clear that up. <laughs> it's okay. No one from Oklahoma can name all six states in New England. So it's okay that you don't know that Oklahoma is not in the South. But what I'm, my point is, Paul's contextualizing his story. And we get to do that also. And every time that I talk about uh, evangelism, I get a little nervous. And some of you, that bothers you. But listen, there are unkind, damaging ways to evangelize. But those should not stop us from learning how to tell our story in a kind and contextualized way. Do you know what I mean by that? I mean that you're paying attention to your listener. That's what I mean by that. Paul's paying attention to the people in front of him. He's thinking, how best can they receive this? Which he does throughout his ministry. In Acts chapter 16, he talks about Jesus one way to people that already feared God. In Acts chapter 17, he talks about Jesus much, much differently. Much more carefully because he's speaking to pagans. And he knows their belief system. Did I say something offensive earlier about New Englanders and Oklahomans and Southerners? I did. I didn't mean to. Oh, I, I did? I didn't mean to. Wow, I got a lot of conflicting. I got a lot of you are nodding your head and a lot of you are shaking your head. I'll have to re-listen and I'll decide for myself. My point is that people learn to speak about faith and their own story in different places, and Paul pays attention to that, and it's good for us to do the same thing. For Paul, it is a, a whole story. He's even including the time before when he was persecuting Christians very actively. If you read Acts chapter 6 and 7 and 8 and 9, you see a very angry young man who was violent towards Christians. Now he understands how the Lord utilized that part of his story to teach him about the peace that comes along with being a follower of Christ. Have you thought about your past? If you came to Jesus at a very specific point in time, which is not true for everyone, many of us don't recall a time that we were ever not a Christian, which is so gracious of the Lord that he would pursue us before we could understand the gospel. But many of us remember a time that we prayed. Do we, remember, do we know our story before that and how it relates to our faith? Paul did, and it was part of his reasoning and understanding of his faith. For Paul, his story was an experience that he had with Christ. It's also the text and the old promises of God that he already believed in. It was also the witnesses that he spoke with. So he spoke with Ananias who was terrified to meet Paul. He spoke with James. This is uh, one of Jesus' half-brothers. He spoke with Peter about these things. And all of those pieces were part of how he became a follower of Christ. Obviously, the most dramatic part was Jesus appearing to him on the road to Damascus. And did you catch the word he uses twice when he talks about the promises of God and understanding them in light of Jesus? Hope. And this is where I see Paul not just talking about the evidence of Jesus in his resurrection, but also about what it meant to his heart as a human being who already was trusting the promises of God, what we would call the Old Testament, what Paul would have called his Bible. He learned about the promises of God and how they were, many of them, fulfilled in Jesus Christ, and that gave him hope. 
where Paul tells his story and he's defending his faith in Jesus and he's defending his mission. And his mission is so interesting because um, you see at the end of Acts, which doesn't seem to have a clear conclusion, I think because Luke is following along with it, Paul believes that it's so important that he speak to these officials about Christ and we don't know what happened. We don't know whether Festus becomes a Christian from Acts chapter 25. We don't know if Agrippa becomes a Christian in Acts chapter 26. We don't know whether he got to tell Nero his whole story once or in five meetings. And that's because his, his mission included you and me. And Luke, I think, clearly wasn't thinking about that. Luke's telling the story as it happened. And to try and explain to him that 2,000 years later, people will be reading the story and be encouraged by it would have surprised him quite a bit. And when, when I talk about mission and I talk about calling, sometimes I talk, I think, overly specifically about it because each of you have individual gifts, but there also is a general call. And Paul's general calling was to worship with other followers of Jesus. He worshiped on Saturdays because he wanted to talk to his people, the Jews, about Christ. He worshiped on Sundays because that was a the resurrection celebration day that they started, um, that the, the Christian faith began implementing after Jesus' resurrection. His general call was to do community with these people, to learn how to be friends with the other people that he worshiped with, which was terrifying for them initially because of his rage when he was not yet a follower of Christ. But Paul had a specific mission also, and that was to plant churches and to write letters to, to churches and to individuals that we now accept as the New Testament. And as I was reading this text, something stuck out to me. I don't know, if, I don't know what it was like for you listening. Perhaps you caught it also. There are about 20 different references to race. And... That's because Paul's own people, the Jews, were rejecting him because they think that he was rejecting them and leading people away from them. And sometimes race and religion are mixed together and sometimes they're not because of the differences around the world of how people believe and how people do, um, how people understand these things. What's interesting about the New Testament and the question of race is that it always assumes that Christians are for the flourishing of every tongue and tribe and nation. And so Paul was confused by the way that he was being rejected. And if you go back and read the couple of chapters preceding this one, he did a lot of work to show his people that though he is a follower of Jesus, that actually makes him a faithful Jew is the way he would conceptualize it. So he went through a number of rituals and, and purification rites in order to convince his people. And yet they continued to reject him because they thought he was leading people away from their faith. And the challenge for the New Testament church is how do we follow Jesus and continue to be faithful Jews? And the way that that broke down was through... I don't want to say this. When I say, how do I want to say this, it doesn't mean I haven't thought about it. It means I've written down three different ways of saying it 
But as I pray and think through my message and I have my notes, I want us to understand. And part of this is impacted by the news. And I probably read way too many people who talk about the silence of churches on things. And every time I hear that, it just annoys the fire out of me. Just FYI. Here's what I want to say. The message of the New Testament is that God, and the Old Testament, God loves every human. Everyone. That doesn't mean that everyone is saved, but he loves everyone. And actual Christianity is for the flourishing of every human, every neighbor, from every tongue and tribe and nation. And Paul's wrestling with that and teaching a lot of the New Testament leaders that. If you look back at Galatians chapter 3 and Acts chapter 15, they were learning this. And the reason they had to learn it and the reason they had to learn it again and again and again is that humans don't naturally like humans that look different from them. But Christians are for the flourishing of every other human. Have I been clear about that? Okay, good. That doesn't mean that you have to vote for this or that political party. It does mean that Christians should be the best internal critics of every political party. And they should do so without mockery. And within their limits. Both the human limits and the individual limits and of the political parties. And the reason I'm saying this is not because you came to church to hear anything political, but because the text, at least 16, if not 21 times, interacts with the challenges of different races. Paul tells his story to defend the faith and to defend his mission as he understood it and to persuade King Agrippa. And you know, as he's trying to persuade Agrippa to become a Christian, I'm fascinated by the way the book of Acts goes in sequence because I would like a chapter explaining how Luke and Paul understood Paul's mission instead of just the story. I would like a chapter connecting the dots. Do you realize that this chapter connects with Romans chapter 16, Acts chapter 6 through 9, 1 Corinthians chapters 9 and 15, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Galatians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 3, Philippians chapter 1, which also connects to Acts chapter 16, Colossians chapter 3, 1 Thessalonians 2, Acts chapter 16 and 17, which connects to 1 Thessalonians 2 also, 1 Timothy 1, chapter 1 and chapter 6, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and 4, Titus chapter 3 and Philemon. And the reason I tell you that is not so that you know that I studied and prepared for the sermon, though that's true. The reason I tell you that is it's amazing, amazing that 1900 years later we have all these historical documents that interconnect with one another. They're written over about three decades. They were sent to individuals and to churches. Those churches almost immediately started passing around copies of them to one another. And so Paul is trying to persuade King Agrippa to become a Christian. And Luke is writing it down as it happens. But the actual mission is to continue to spread further and further and further the story of the gospel of God, the good news that God loves everyone. And that the work of Jesus of Nazareth was to reconcile 
people to him through faith. And that they then received the Holy Spirit, which in Paul's case quenched his rage and gave him peace, and he believed to be true. It's amazing that we have these different documents that were certain were separate by decades and by countries. They weren't all sent to Jerusalem. They were sent to Turkey and to Europe and to the Middle East. And yet they reference one another. And the reason that I tell you all that is I want to persuade you. Paul is attempting to persuade Agrippa. Luke wrote it down as it happened, but in the purposes of God, this text is here to remind us not only that the gospel gives peace to our heart, but also that it's true. I can't convince you of the miracles of the text, though we can discuss that and argue about it. I can hopefully convince you because historically, the veracity, the truthfulness of the New Testament is almost undisputed by those who are opposed to the faith, like Josephus, by those that are for faith. And I hope that if you're already a follower of Christ and you feel like this is um, old news to you, the reason I want to remind you that it's true is so that we rest in it. I believe this is why we have Acts chapter 26. I believe this is why it's okay that my abs hurt from playing on the slip and slide. I believe this is why there are so many connections between all of these letters is because there is a hope that is not only emotional, though it affects our emotions. It's not only intellectual, it's also historical, which reminds not only our affections and our thoughts, but also in truth and in space and time that there is a hope that we can rest in. And so if you're a follower of Christ, I hope that you are encouraged by this text, by Paul defending his faith and his mission. And if you're not a follower of Christ, I hope that as Paul attempts to convince Agrippa, you would consider the good news of the gospel of God. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we praise and thank you for this morning that we could celebrate your resurrection. We praise and thank you for voices and for songs to sing about your love and mercy given to us. Jesus, I ask that you would help us to trust you more and more deeply. Holy Spirit, would you draw near to us in ways that we can sense and understand? Draw near to us in joy. Draw near to us when we are sorrowful. Holy Spirit, we look to you for comfort and assurance intellectually and emotionally. We long to believe and to believe more deeply in these promises of hope that you've given to us. 
Amen.